The beautiful, beautiful Gospel of John is such an inspiring Gospel. It seems to take the, the words and the actions and the ministry of Jesus and then expands as that great Apostle theologically drew from the life and words of Christ into deeper theological teachings for us. And in that Gospel, we find not only some of the most uh, common scriptures about evangelization, John 3.16, but we find verses that are often the verses avoided by Protestants, or at least explained away. John 6 and John 17. Those are two sections we'll discuss today on Deep in Scripture. Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. Thank you for joining us today. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios, and we're coming to you over EWTN Radio. And I thank you for joining us. I, I know that some of you listen to this program on the internet, so I'm glad that you do. For those of you that don't realize it, you can listen to this program on chnetwork.org. That's the Coming Home Network website. And there's a direct link to listen to this program, as well as watch us as the guest and I study these scriptures. The overall theme of this program for quite a while has been what we've called verses we never saw. Often my guests are converts to the Catholic faith, and we discuss scripture texts that either they didn't see before or saw but avoided or saw and didn't quite understand. That's depending on the guest. And today we're looking at two scriptures that our guest uh, will we'll explain in a moment, but these are ones that she said she didn't see or didn't appreciate their meaning. And our guest in this afternoon is Denise Bossert. And Denise is a <clears throat> former Presbyterian. She was the daughter, well, of not only a, a Presbyterian pastor, but boy, I think it sounds like everybody in her family was a minister at one point, her grandparents and uh, were, I think, Wesleyan pastors or United Methodist ministers. She had a great grandmother that, mother that was a Quaker, and so she brings a lot of, of experience to her own journey. She's um, is a writer who is published by 42 diocesan newspapers. Uh, again, I said the daughter of a Protestant minister, grew up in the state of Iowa, and then following her father's death in 2003, she went on a search for answers to the question of suffering in, in relationship to her own father's suffering. And the uh, she found answers through the writings of St. John of the Cross, which in itself is is a real miracle because for many on the journey, St. John can be very difficult and deep. Uh, she shares the story of grace that led her to the Catholic Church through her writing and speaking. And let me tell you now, if you'd like to find out more about Denise, she has a website, catholicbygrace.blogspot.com. And she'll join me here in a moment. We asked her what scriptures she'd like to discuss today, and she chose a portion of John chapter 6 and then a portion of John 17. And these two sections of John deal with two different subjects, but two important subjects for those that are considering the Catholic faith. Often the most difficult, if not controversial subjects, the first being the Eucharist and the sex, second being unity. So let me read these scriptures and then we'll, uh, we'll join Denise after the break. I'm not going to read all of this section from John chapter 6, 
uh, beginning with verse 51. We'll look at verses 53 through 55, and then 57 through 58. So Jesus is speaking. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on my will feeds on me, will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike our ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And now let's jump to John 17. We'll read verse 11 and then 20 through 23. And again, we could read the entire priestly prayer, but we'll just focus on these particular verses during our time today. And again, here we have Jesus speaking, and this time in his priestly prayer. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are one. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may also be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me, and that you love them even as you loved me. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and we're joined today by Denise Bossert. She's from St. Louis. And uh, her her journey home, uh, in which she joins me to explain her own journey of faith, will appears on January 10th. So you'll want to make sure you tune in to that to hear her whole story. 
I'm curious, uh, Denise, is your journey at all posted on your website at all? Or? Um, actually, I have a link to the newsletter oh, yes. that came out. And so they can go to the blog and they can click on that icon and they can read the newsletter that went out in July. The newsletter she's referring to is the Coming Home Network yes. newsletter, which you can also link to on the Coming Home Network website. I've got to say, my son, John Mark, who's now our our webmaster here at the Coming Home Network, has done a, a really uh, bang-up job on the website, so you've got to check it out. That's chnetwork.org. All kinds of great stuff there, yeah. including a link to, well, a link to the the Deep in Scripture things, but also the forum. Were you involved with the forum at all yourself? I can't remember. I know you've been a helper for the no, Coming Home Network. No, um, I actually uh, came into the church through the help um, of a previous Journey Home guest. And uh, it was, I think, probably pre-True Helper Network. Sure. But it kind of evolved on its own, and uh, she was a great help. So, Well, although let me say that the primary work of the Coming Home Network are the helpers. Yeah. The, the people that link up mm-hmm. and become friends through Internet or email, and it's essentially a convert helping a, another person on the journey. And you're an example of that. Yes, she's she's become a sister in Christ, dear to me. Well, these verses, John 6, I will say are probably one of the more common verses that folk never see. (laughs) (laughs) I would guess. You look back, you were brought up with a more Wesleyan flavor uh, because your father was originally a Wesleyan pastor. He was till I was in middle school, and then he became a Presbyterian pastor. So are you saying in all those years he never preached on John chapter 6? If he did, I don't remember it. And if he did, I'm guessing it was sort of explained as um, metaphorical that Mm -hmm. our Lord wasn't saying what today I realize is obvious that he is saying it really is his body and blood, soul and divinity. And so I would say um, if he did, I missed it. And... um, if uh, if he did, he probably went a more metaphorical route. I'm guessing he may have been more like I was because I served as a, a Presbyterian pastor, one-year congregationalist, and the rest mm-hmm. of the Presbyterian for 10 years, about 10 years. I don't have in my huge file cabinet of sermon notes any verse, any, any sermon on these particular scriptures because I think as I look back, I was so convinced of the symbolic, mm-hmm. metaphorical meaning of of the Lord's Supper, it never crossed my mind to re-examine what I had presumed all those years. So when I preached on the chapter of John 6, it was about the meaning of believing. Right. And, and the, the willingness to follow Christ no matter what any of the crowds did. Right. But I still jumped over this passage and, and its significance, which really takes away the whole meaning of the whole chapter, I think. It, it does. I mean, when I looked at it with, with fresh eyes and saw what's there, it, I think the gl- thing that was so glaring to me is, do you want to live? <laughs> you know, he's saying very clearly, I'm offering you eternal life. But what is it? What is, is it a prayer? Do I say, Jesus, come in and be my personal Lord and Savior? I'm not seeing that anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that was a radical departure from what I understood. To really look at our Lord's own words, what he was saying, um, 
It was completely different. So how did you get awakened to this section of Scripture? Well, um, as you said, my father was a minister. He was a Wesleyan pastor. And um, then through course of events in our, uh, his life and um, our family life, he became a Presbyterian pastor. Um, after he passed away, he had gone through great suffering, and I went on a quest for answers to mm -hmm. the question of suffering. Through the writings of Carmelites, I realized... John the Cross and yes, Teresa Babylon, right? I realized I want to find out more about the Catholic Church. And I remembered that Dad had said he had a friend on the ministerial board by the name of Father Larry. I didn't even know his last name. I just remembered this little snippet of a conversation with Dad. And so I knew that I needed to find Father Larry. He had known my dad. So I picked up the phone and I tracked him down. He was at another parish and I finally found him. And when, um, when he heard what I had to say, he said, Denise, what you need to do is look at John chapter six again. And you need to ask yourself, can you take our Lord at his word? Because if you can, this journey will keep going for you. And if you cannot, this is where it will end. Mm -hmm. Because, and then he said, it all stands or falls on what you say about John 6, the source and summit of our faith. That's hard for um, a lifelong Protestant to take because ever since the break with the Catholic Church during the Protestant Reformation, the centrality of the Eucharist has been shifted right. to really the centrality of preaching. Yes, it has. Which is where I'm assuming your dad yes. was, right? That was the center of the worship experience was the sermon. Mm -hmm. And uh, the centrality of Eucharist. You know, it, it's Denise, I was speaking recently at a, a, at a large Catholic church, and it was huge. This church was could seat a thousand people. Wow! Big, big, big rectangular kind of modern church, but it would look, you know, look like a big gymnasium. But it was it was a nice church. But I remember thinking that if I had been a Protestant minister proposing to my board that we ought to build a church this big, I was thinking that if I were doing that, I'd have to be promising them that I was going to be the best mm -hmm. preacher that ever existed, that I'd be tracking You had to deliver. I had to deliver. We had to make sure we filled those pews, and you know that would be the idea, because that's why people would have come. Yes. They may have come for the, for the youth programs, or they, but all that stuff. Whereas, when I think about a Catholic church, certainly the homilies are, are important, but it's to receive the Eucharist. Yeah, it is. That's what this whole thing is about. The whole centrality is you. And so that's what this priest was saying to you. So John 6, let me, uh, let me first read 51 again. Okay. As our introduction into this. I mean, I hate to say it, of course, in a sense, we really need to look at all of John 6 to right. get the entire context, but, but we can't do that in one program. But let me read this and then go ahead and, and start our reflection. John, or Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Okay. So in seeing this at that time in my journey, I had just come through the loss of my father. Hmm. It was suffering and death that I think jump-started that journey. And 
Um, so I'm looking at this with a hunger for life, a hunger for our Lord and more of him. And the word will live forever. The phrase will live forever mm-hmm. just just comes right at me because I'm at a point where that's what I need most to hear. And yet, what is it? that causes you to live forever. What is it? Where do you get that strength for the journey? And it's our Lord speaking, and he says, it's my flesh for the life of the world. So then immediately I'm struck with what Father Larry had said, is what do I think that means? Do I really still think it means what I had always thought, that it's a metaphor? You feed on his word, meaning the Bible and scripture. You feed on his word through the preaching of the sermon. Or is he saying something else here? And um, it was Father Larry who put that in my head to just ask myself a question I never would have asked. Um, What does it mean to live forever and how do I receive that? Yeah, very often if you were to ask someone, how do you live forever? The answer is, what you had said when you were a little child, when you accepted Christ, your mother used an ABC uh, uh, format. Yes. A, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. B, believe he died for you personally on the cross. And C, confess your sins to him privately and he will forgive you. Um, The thing that struck me or began to occur to me is that asking Jesus to come into your heart is in a sense sort of a spiritual communion. This encompasses all of it. Mm -hmm. And every time a Catholic goes to receive communion, he effectively is receiving a spiritual. What I did in that most awesome moment in second grade, he received spiritually, but he truly receives our Lord's body and blood. But we had reduced it down to just a metaphorical sense, but we still use the term receive our Lord, you know? (laughs) But it was just a prayer. It was, um, it had lost the fullness of its meaning. Uh, And I like, you definitely use the important word there that we had reduced it down that expresses something very important historically. Because often when non-Catholics try and hear what we're saying about this passage, their mental exercise is to try and add this on to where they are, Mm -hmm. never realizing that where they are was the new thing, that the the traditional way of understanding these passages from the beginning, all through the early church fathers, through the Middle Ages, all the way up until the, the 16th century, the majority view was this understanding of the true presence of Christ right. in the Eucharist. And one of the things that I, I realized as, as I grew in the conversion process was that receiving our Lord through a prayer, Jesus come into my heart, was a very new idea. It hadn't been around for very long if you look at 2,000 years of the mm-hmm. church. Does that mean then that for 1900 years nobody was saved that's that's completely implausible mm-hmm. that the holy people who lived in those 1900 years prior to a simplistic jesus come into my heart as sincere as that prayer is it's not fully addressing what this passage says and it's not that we catholics don't believe that that we don't accept Christ into our heart, right. we certainly do, and we believe that Christ dwells in our heart. John 15 talks about abiding in Christ and Christ in us and, and other passages, again, from the Gospel of John. 
But the understanding of what that meant was not merely a one-time acceptance and then it happens. Right. And, you know, because you decided to at some coming down to some football stadium or that the the concept of what it means to abide in Jesus encompassed a whole lot more. And my guess for you, Denise, that your discovery of John on the cross and Teresa of Avila were one of the ways that introduced you into this deeper understanding of the indwelling of Jesus. Well, obviously part of it was Wesleyan, the Wesleyan tradition that I was first formed in was very, it was a very real conversion. I know that in second grade, even saying that prayer, that was very real. And um, it is not to minimize that in any way. I know I truly asked our Lord to be Lord of my life, Mm -hmm. but that's not the end. I am not now holy to be able to stand before perfect God. Um, And there's a lifelong process of conversion that's required. And, And I thought as a second grader that life would be pretty um, sort of bland because I would be holy forever and and I realized that's not the case. There's a whole lot more to this journey of ongoing conversion. When Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, um, was dealing with the problems at Corinth, and trying to bring them back in line because some have gotten too enthusiastic and out of control and the others were dealing with heresy and also others dealing with immorality. In the center of that passage, he says, I want to remind you, brethren, in what terms I preach to you the gospel that you received in which you stand and by which you are saved if you hold it fast unless you believed in vain. He says that. Right. I'm going to remind you this is what it's all about so that you can stand this is by which you are saved if you hold fast and then what does he give he gives the words of what we hear every sunday in the the eucharist that's where we have the words where he says uh about in the midst of that he gives the words of of institution um well first he reminds of the resurrection excuse me it was earlier in in uh, First Corinthians, I turned the wrong page. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to be listening because he says the very same place in in uh, chapter 11 when he says, uh, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. He goes on and then he says, for I received from the Lord what I delivered unto you. There's where he's going mm-hmm. through them. Sorry. That in the midst of that, he's saying, okay, this is the center of what I received to make sure in the context of this, you remember, and it's there that he gives the words of institution. My point being, he doesn't say, I want to remember what it's all about. Remember that day you accepted no, Jesus. It's not. The day you got down on your knees, that's a part of it. Right. It's a beginning. Yeah. It's it's where the the gun goes off and the race begins, but you have to finish the race. You keep going. And what is it that gives you strength on, you know, year fifty two when you have a crisis or um, at every point you need food for the journey. You need strength to make it to the end of the race and complete the race well. Remembering that the context of this passage at the end of it is when Jesus will turn to Peter and say, well, what about mm-hmm. you? And Peter says, well, where else are we going to go? And, and in the context of those simple words, Peter recognized the difficulty of these words from Jesus. Uh, but he recognized the need to trust our Lord at his word. Uh, 
the of course this also connects with the woman at the well mm-hmm. you know the life that comes down the the, the water um, the, the new life that comes all of it centers around truly receiving Christ verse 53 Jesus said to them amen amen I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you do not have life within you you don't remember seeing that verse no. before and you know the other thing is for um, taking it to the higher level it's the word amen repeated twice so this is how to take it to that mm-hmm. that highest level of emphasis we have two amens here our Lord says amen amen um, I don't want you to miss this this is important and I hope you're listening unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man there can be no life in you unless you drink his blood there can be no life in you in in looking at that I mean it, it's interesting that you bring up the woman at the well because Likewise, we had a tendency, especially as Wesleyans, to not look at it as real water mm. and the waters of baptism. Again, it was reduced to kind of a metaphorical receiving, you know, the drink of the living water by getting into the Word and listening to scriptures. But our Lord takes the things that we have, the things that we need, and He reaches us spiritually and physically because He created us as with a body and a soul and a spirit. And um, he doesn't want us to reduce it down to a simple metaphor. If verse 53, I try to remember why, as a Protestant, I would have completely uh, avoided any literalistic understanding of what Jesus is saying, seemingly very literally. Right. Number one, to do so would have been stepping outside of whatever tradition I had. I would have had to recognize that my tradition was wrong. Yes. Number two, it was going against our senses. Mm-hmm. It's just juice or a, a little cube of bread. That's mm-hmm. the way we celebrate it. It, it. it would completely go against our senses. But I think also on top of that is dealing with that word unless. Mm-hmm. It was such an absolute necessity and and it it struck me he's not mincing words here you have to do this and unless you do that you're not going to have life and i remember communion as a wesleyan but most of my memories um, are when i was older as a presbyterian after church seeing the bread that the women have had made and oh wasn't it really good so-and-so made it and (laughs) <laughs> and people having it, just taking a piece off of it yeah. and eating it. And um, and even though nobody said it, that certainly underscores the teaching, it's just a metaphor. No one would do that with our Lord's body. Right. And um, it's, so it's a radical change of receiving what he really said. I, at my first church I served as a pastor, as a solo pastor, the ladies of the church, whenever we would celebrate communion once a month, would make a loaf. Mm-hmm. Specifically would be the loaf that I would break in the right. in the in the ritual. But we wouldn't use that in the ritual itself because they'd already pre-cut all the breads to pass around. But after worship, I got the bread to take home for us to have for our Sunday lunch. And no, isn't that tasty? I mean it was it was reduced <laughs> to such a level of uh of just yeah. not being the holy, sacred body of our Lord. I mean, I'm even confronted by this now, the fact that I don't remember preaching on these specific passages during the entire time I was a pastor, and yet in this passage, Jesus says how absolutely essential this is. And I know some 
more liberal scholars, Protestant scholars, who would say, well, Jesus probably really didn't say these words. They were added later by the church who had developed in this direction to put back into the words of Jesus their way of of giving concrete foundation to what they were doing later on. The study of skepticism, intellectual yeah. skepticism. Um, but how can we take anything of the Bible if we don't say our Lord's words mean something? That it, We yeah. have to look at this. This is the gospel. In, the, in many of the Bibles I had growing up, this was red print. This mm-hmm. was what Jesus said. And if, if you start playing with that, and dismissing, he didn't really say it, or it's not really what he's saying. You lose the, you lose. Well, the that's faith. the trajectory of that liberal biblical scholarship. Right. In the end, nothing carries weight. In the end, we become our own pope. We do. We 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 end up being. I will decide which verses I will preach on, which ones I will live by, which ones I will demand of my children or my family, because those are the ones. I can accept. And I was kind of in that uh, phase because I had realized we all have a Holy Father, a Pope to turn to, someone who we believe and trust. Mm-hmm. And um, some for some people it's ourselves, but we still have teachers that we trust very much. For me, it was my dad. Mm-hmm. But I'd lost that. I'd lost my earthly father and the one who spoke to me about things that were spiritual. So here I'm looking at this, and I have to discern it. I have to... I can't pick up a phone and call dad. He's gone. And for me, I still have baggage with, is this meta- a metaphor? And, you know, God, I'm an English teacher. That was my first trade. And he knows how to work with what you've got. And um, so I cross-referenced, and I went to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, and I looked at the parables, which I knew were metaphors to compare and what I realized is after Matthew thirteen thirty six and Mark four eleven, our Lord dismisses the, the crowds and he turns to his disciples and he explains. It's like mm-hmm. handing out the cliff notes. Now I'm going to tell you what I really meant. And the disciples in both of those passages say, say, why do you do that? Why do you speak figuratively to the crowds? And he says, I do that to the always, and I'll get this wrong. You'll have to correct me. But so they're always... um, seeing but never well it's never getting it always listening and never really hearing but to you I speak directly and I looked at this passage and it made more sense because John 6 when Peter is like excuse me (laughs) and then he says well you have the words of eternal life I think what I was looking at was he was waiting for the cliff's notes he was waiting yep. for the explanation. This is a metaphor. I always do this. I tell you what it really meant. And he does not, Jesus does not do that. He sticks to his ground. He says it's true. And if you don't receive me in the Eucharist, you won't have eternal life. And in the entire context of chapter six, there's a whole bunch that leave. Yes. Yeah. I mean, all the other disciples, except for the 12. Which in and of itself is an important thing. Mm -hmm. The ones who are his true disciples don't leave at that point. It it does stand or fall, as Father Larry said, on what John 6 and what you believe about John 6. It's interesting to extrapolate a little bit because in the context here, it does say that all the rest left and there's the 12. We also know that soon there's going to be a whole bunch gathered in the upper room. So what that does 
it leaves the door open for people at first to say, this is too hard. Right. But then as the Holy Spirit works on them and as they go through their own barriers, they start to say, you know, but this was Jesus. Which we are those people. <laughs> That's us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that, that the reason I included this, because there were no words of eternal life. I mean, all of these other verses have mm-hmm. eternal life. You'll live forever or you will not have life in the new. But 55 was like, can I say it any clearer? For my flesh is true food. How do you say at that point, it's not? How do you at that point say, no, it's really bread? (laughs) And my blood is true drink. If Jesus is standing right before you as he did with those disciples and he says it like that, how can you take it as anything but what it is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, those around him took him to be speaking seriously. He had plenty of time, several opportunities to correct their misunderstandings mm-hmm. if that was a point he didn't do that no we also know that in the earliest days of the church one of the main accusations against the early christians is that they had the audacity to believe that they were eating the flesh and blood of their right of their savior so i mean it was the assumptions those around that they were speaking literally all the early church fathers uh proclaim uh the necessity of a a, a belief in the true body and blood uh, that, that changes. And of course, our Catholic use of the word transubstantiation is merely a philosophical way of trying to explain what goes on. But no one ever ever claims that we understand exactly what's happening. It's a right. miracle of our Lord Jesus. And to take it to something less and reduce it to a metaphor is, is again, it's a new, it's a new mm-hmm. take on it. It is, which you, you have to say, does the church have the Holy Spirit in all those 1900 years or 1800 years when they really did believe it was our Lord's body and blood and only now we have a revelation that it's not? It, it's, it doesn't work that way. It, our, the Holy Spirit is in the church from day one and the early church fathers confirmed that it really is our Lord's body and blood, soul and divinity. All right. Denise, let's take a break and we'll come back in a little bit. Maybe we'll tie up a few loose ends on John 6. We want to jump over to John 17 when we come back after the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and uh, you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Crowder. I'm joined today by Denise Bossert, and we've been looking at John 6, 
I know because of time we want to move over to John 17, but this one last thing I thought that I want to make sure we we see in 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 those verses you've chose, uh, Denise, is that in every one of them, as you said, we're talking about life. Mm-hmm. But in every case, he's not only talking about the life we're going to have after we die, that the idea of eternal life is something that begins now. Right. That it isn't just future, it's now. And so in that sense, to truly have that intimate union with Jesus now and forever, he is saying it has it's involved with the Eucharistic reception of Christ. And again, I mean, it anecdotal or experiential is, is, is sometimes a hard um, t- reason for people to accept. But when I receive, I know. I, I know his yeah. presence. It, it, the first time I received, I knew it was the same Lord I'd received spiritually in second grade in that prayer. And it is, there are times when there are difficult days and I immediately go to Lord, I received you and I continue to receive you and be the food I need to make it through this day. Um, it is food for the journey and uh, it begins now. It is interesting that the context Jesus is speaking about to the Jews about their ancestors who ate and still died, but whoever eats this bread will live forever. Mm-hmm. When we bring the the meaning of Scripture forward, then we can also look at that and recognize that there are a lot of people in our own paths, families, that did not have the full understanding of scripture, the full ending. We don't make a judgment on where they've ended up. We leave that to the mercy of God. But he's a bit eventually kind of here saying, to a certain extent, your your ancestors are one thing. The question is, what do you believe? Right. And I, and I think that every convert from another faith tradition, and even those who are cradle Catholics who perhaps had, you know, parents or grandparents who weren't... Um, staying faithful to the, their Catholic faith, they have to, What? who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. You have to choose. You have to make a personal um, choice that is not your parents' choice. Yep. God doesn't have grandchildren, as they used to say. And that was the context here. The the, the Jewish leaders kept pointing back, kept pointing back, mm-hmm. Moses and, and all of that. And he says, no, 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 it's up to you, up to you. And of course, in this context, it all comes down not just to the 12, but to Peter. He's the right. one. It's Peter. Which I remember my own journey thinking, wait a second. Yeah, it was Peter that stood out, not just yes. one of the other guys. It was Peter. Right. That's significant. All right, let's jump jump over to John 17. There's so much more we could talk about in John 6, but you wanted to also look at John 17. Why? At what point did this did these passages uh, strike you as important? Well, there there were some difficult days um, in the journey through RCIA. I loved RCIA, but specifically getting into the some right of the Mary... Christian, the right of Christian initiation exactly. for adults, for those non-Catholics. And I highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> I was really blessed to have a wonderful RCIA leader. And, but it was during some of the teachings on Mary that I struggled. Hmm. And um, the thing that I would go back to and cling to during that time, well, first of all, it was the Eucharist. That's why I did John 6 first is I, how do you leave that? When you, when you know that this is our Lord, hmm. you can't walk away. But the thing that kept driving me is we are one body. 
the concept that what does that kind of unity look like? And John 17 is clear. Our Lord is clear in John 17 as to what that kind of unity looks like. And it doesn't look anything like what I understood it to look like. Um, it's interesting when dad became Presbyterian, he went through Presbyterian confirmation class and we learned the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, dad, why is the Catholic Church in there? You know, what does that mean? And and dad explained it as small c, Catholic, universal church, and a kind of, um, we all link arms and we're all Christian. Well, it doesn't say Christian. We're all sort of in there Christian. Um, it says Catholic. And, you know, I think that I had from him received it well you know there's wesleyan we were wesleyan and now we're presbyterian and my cousins were assembly of god and my grandmother grew up quaker had a a grandmother who was a quaker minister my grandfather was united methodist and it's kind of like well you know as long as you feel comfortable where you're going and you have a personal relationship with our lord jesus christ that's what's important boy that did not look like john 17. i know well Okay, you just described Methodist, Wesleyan, Presbyterian, Quaker. And cousins who are Assembly of God, ministers and missionaries. Okay. All right. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Right. They would even define it in different ways. In fact, the Wesleyans, and I I get this from from mom and dad, so I'm not really sure um, that this is the way it went, but according to my parents, the Wesleyan Church as a denomination took a vote that you could not have the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit and be Wesleyan. You could not teach it from any pulpit or any Bible study class. So, And then when Dad became Presbyterian, it was more intellectual, and so it certainly didn't come up. It's not like he said, well, we're against it, but it didn't fit in because it was too emotional. And so it does. It comes down to we were disagreeing on the basic fundamentals, how you're saved, whether you can lose your salvation, if you get it. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just did Eve eat an apple or a pomegranate. These were essential truths to the faith that we disagreed on. In this verse, John seventeen eleven, in which Jesus prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are one. That is the part in my Bible that I underline, my, my Protestant Bible and now my, my all of the books, Catholic Bible. Um, our Lord is saying, one as we are one, and he's talking to his Father. What does that kind of oneness look like? What is the, the oneness in the Trinity between Father and Son? There is no shadow of difference. There is no lack yeah. of unity of any stretch of the, they are one. And... It can't, you cannot say, and I could no longer say that, well, you know, certain denominations can think other things and you go where you're more comfortable and it's okay if we don't really agree straight down the line. It's not okay unless we have a unity that mirrors the unity between God the Father and God the Son. We're missing what John 17 says, what our Lord says in John 17. Yeah, John 21 also. I mean, 1721, so that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So there's talking about our unity, which is to mirror the Trinity, is to be a witness to the world. This is what killed me. The last part of 21 hit me hard because it says, if you don't have unity, then you are jeopardizing the good news of the gospel 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying to the world, what is our mission to go out and spread the good news of the gospel? And he has just said at the end of 21, this unity is so that the world may believe that you sent me. And he's talking to the Father. We jeopardize that message with our lack of unity. People drive to their church and they pass how many churches on the way of different stripes? And, you know, maybe it's okay with the person who's in the car headed to church where they're going. What about the person who's unchurched? Or what about the person who's in a crisis of faith and they see that lack of unity? Um, We've kind of gotten used to it as Americans. You know, you can go wherever you want to buy any kind of food that you want. We're used to pick and choose. But that's not what our Lord says here. Yeah, what ended up during the Reformation, particularly Calvin, uh, emphasized this invisible church mm-hmm. idea, which had its sources in Augustine. But Augustine, in the context of everything Augustine is writing, he's assuming one Catholic right, church. Right, There was nothing else. That was, that was the church. And he recognizes that there are people in the church that look like better Catholics than others. And he's saying, you know, some who look like great Catholics may not be good Catholics, and ones that don't look very good are maybe better than the rest of us. So he said there's an invisible witness there of the church that isn't always based on the externals. But that was all that the reformers had left, was to try and say that amongst your family of Assembly of God and United Methodists and Wesleyans and Presbyterians and Quakers, there's this invisible church, though few things that they would say are they one on. Right. Even their understanding of Jesus between a Quaker and Assembly of God which could be Unitarian, actually, right. and a Presbyterian and a Methodist, just understanding Jesus became more and more difficult. Jesus said, "In them, I and them and you and me, that they may be brought to perfection as one. Well, again, this idea of being brought to perfection is not very, very Presbyterian, is it? Mm-mm. I mean, that would be closer to your Wesleyan tradition, this right. idea of growing in perfection, in holiness, but that they may be brought to perfection as one. And I realized that I missed that. I I was missing the pieces we dropped off when we moved from Wesleyan to Presbyterian. And as I went further and deeper into the conversion and the journey, I realized, you know, all of the best gems that I see in all these denominations, they come together, they are preserved in the Catholic Church. You don't lose any of them. What is true and perfect is still there. Let's take one last little break, Denise, and we'll come back and kind of wrap this up in just a bit. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grota. I am joined today by Denise Bossert, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. 
Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. Our guest today is Denise Bossert. And just a reminder that she has a website called catholicbygrace.blogspot.com in case you'd like to to contact her and ask her some questions about what we've discussed today or about her own journey. On the surface, these two sets of Scripture, John 6, John 17, deal with two completely different subjects. One is the Eucharist and the other is the the great priestly prayer, but they have great crossover because in both places we're talking about this intimate union. Right. Well, John 6 hit me in the summer, and um, John 17 carried me through the winter (laughs) as I went through RCIA. But I realized that there's not even six months difference in these two things. Um, They Mm -hmm. are united completely because when we receive our Lord, we receive Him in Holy Communion, what that means is we are in union with one another as one body, completely one, with Christ our Lord. And we, there is no shadow of difference. It's a unity in communion. And if you're not in union and not in communion with one another and what you believe and who this is we're receiving, you don't receive because it really is his body and blood. Yeah, the... The union that is often proclaimed by the different denominations that you came from is, well, we also we all agree on the same thing. Well, a little group of folk agree. Mm-hmm. Well, they might have union on that. It may not last long. No, it won't. It never does. And there there will be somebody who will walk away and start their own church. And Yeah. Well, that's why you have Wesleyan background and United right. Methodist background, which are breakaways from a, a John Wesley's movement, which was a breakaway from the, the Anglican, Anglican Church. And of course, the Anglicans were a breakaway from the Catholic Church. So we mm-hmm. have this constant breakaway, seeking reunion, basically avoiding the real presence. Luther tried to keep it. He did. He tried to bang on the table that, no, this is my body, this is my body. He, he insisted on that, but yet he couldn't accept the way it had been taught and understood for the 1,500 years before right. So he had to come up with an alternative explanation, which now there are dozens of divided Lutheran denominations. Right. And as soon as you start to depart from what our Lord is really saying, it starts to crumble. And you may not see it today or this next year, but if you look at what's happened in the last couple hundred years, you see it just fracturing all over the place. Even amongst evangelical Protestants, which generally are considered the ones that are more scriptural and trying to live out the gospel mm-hmm. and to be evangelistic, that, again, there's div- divisions amongst them. Sometimes it's the issue of ordination. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the pro-life issues. Um, sometimes it could be whether you look at the scripture or avoid this other scripture. I mean, all these issues end up with the individual or a group of individuals saying that I, they really have a corner on what is true and, and the beauty of the church, I know in your own journey, that was the bottom line, was trusting the church. I needed to have solid, I called it terra firma. I don't know where I saw it first, but it <laughs> fit. It was solid ground and I could stand on it and it wasn't gonna shake and move on me. That's right. And you had had you know, breakups in your own yep. life, uh, breakups in, in your first marriage and, and all those issues, which again, we're surrounded by all kinds of opinions on what to do with that. In the end, you had to trust a church that you could trust. I was ready for something solid that I could give my yes to. If the audience went to your website, what would they find? 
Well, typically what I do is um, I take little pieces of my journey, and they're anywhere from 50 to 800 words, little posts. Um, I'm sure they're familiar with blogs. That's what it is, <laughs> but it's the journey in tiny bites. All right. Well, Denise, thank you so much for joining thank us you, Marcus. on the program. I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, thanks for your study on these scriptures. I'm sorry that I took us off field a little bit there in the First Corinthians passage, but, but the point there was that in the context of that, Paul is drawing us back to the very verses you're talking about. It's unity and centered around the celebration of the Eucharist. Paul was drawing us there. In his one body. All right. So thank you, Denise. And thank you all of you for joining us on this program. I hope this has been an encouragement to you again. Uh, if you're not familiar, please go to chnetwork.org, our website, to find out all the other things that, that are available through the Coming Home Network International. Thank you for joining us over EWTN. God bless you. See you next week.